And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. We'll take your calls this hour with Randall Fitzgerald as we're talking about his thoughts with his book, Alien in the Mirror. Randall, let's talk a little bit more about your thoughts about the interdimensional. You're not alone in that. A lot of people think that. Uh, yes. Uh, it's certainly, everyone has been watching the series uh, on the History Channel, Skinwalker Ranch. Yes. <laughs> Comes away after each episode uh, wondering uh, if when they talk about portals, whether they're talking about interdimensional uh, transference of, of something, uh, you know, the phenomenon is quite intriguing there. And uh, it, it strikes me uh, as if um, that particular program uh, is changing a, a lot of people's perspective on the nature of what this phenomenon is. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, there could be all kinds of things going on. But let's talk a little bit more about good old planet Earth, do you think it's alive like an organism? Well, that's a good, <laughs> provocative question. Uh, if it's a planetary mind uh, and uh, it is sentient, uh, much like uh, in the movie Solaris, uh, then one would think that uh, it is uh, in, in that respect. Uh, and, and that's where we get a lot of our ideas uh, about you know, and the environmental movement of being based on Gaia, uh, and that Gaia is like a, a living entity, and that when you take all of the life forms on the planet, you know, the sum total synergistically uh, is creating something uh, much bigger, much more important than the uh, individual parts of that intelligence. In the movie Contact, uh, from the book that Carl Sagan wrote, he believes that there were extraterrestrials out there, just never believed that they came here. What are your thoughts on that? I, I have several of Sagan's books summarized in my book. Uh, the Demon Haunted World, for instance, was one of his last. And he was very much, uh, as most of your listeners know, um, a skeptic about uh, extraterrestrial visitation. Uh, he uh, tried said to be open-minded on the subject, but he, uh, using Occam's razor, uh, just never found uh, the evidence sufficient uh, to convince himself. Uh, he had some candidates uh, that he, before he died, uh, mentioned uh, as, as possible uh, interesting um, uh, evidence of, of visitation, and one was the famous face on Mars. Uh, which you've had on your program many, many times shows. over the years, and you know, which apparently turned out not to be uh, as uh, much of a face as we thought, more of an eroded mesa. But at the time that uh, Sagan was writing, uh, uh, he was intrigued by that. He was also intrigued by the Drogon tribe in Mali and uh, the, the idea that maybe they had some astronomical information that had been passed down from one culture to another that, that they shouldn't uh, technologically uh, have had about the Sirius star system. And, of course, Robert Temple wrote that <laughs> book back in 1976, The Sirius Mystery, which he uh, took that uh, idea and elaborated on it. And, and Sagan thought that might be compelling, um, but we've never been able to actually prove that uh, either. So, um, you know, Sagan was a bit of an enigma. He was a 
the great popularizer of science as we know, and uh, he, we owe it uh, to him uh, with this millions upon millions uh, expression uh, uh, that inspired a lot of people to get uh, involved in astronomy and uh, to, to think in terms of life uh, elsewhere. But uh, he was pretty much, if not an agnostic, then an, an atheist about visitation. Next hour after you, uh, Randall, my guest is going to talk about the fallen angels, the biblical fallen angels, where he believes that they might be alien. Interesting. Uh, but, you know, in looking at the chronology of the theories and evidence uh, that evolved in the different uh, categories, like ancient astronauts and UFOs, UFO occupants, uh, contactees and abductees and so forth, um, I charted um, various periods where some of the more provocative books appeared. And uh, 1975 was a particularly good year for UFO-related books. And there are two in particular that come to mind uh, along this line, uh, having to do with uh, the juxtaposition of, of religion and belief in extraterrestrial life. Uh, the two books that appeared in 1975 that I highlighted uh, were sort of Christian mainstream views about the UFO phenomenon. And in the first book um, by two fundamentalist Christians, it was titled UFOs, What on Earth is Happening? And they argued that UFO occupants uh, are demons and that they are here using occult methods like telepathy to communicate uh, with humans. And these demons are here in UFOs to prepare us for the arrival of the Antichrist. Well, hmm. ironically, just a few months later after that book was released, another book appeared, this one by the Baptist evangelist Billy Graham. And this book was titled Angels, God's Secret Agents. And in this book, uh, the Reverend Graham claimed that UFOs uh, may be piloted by angels who are visiting Earth to assist uh, human beings in battling satanic forces. And that these uh, angels and the UFOs uh, may be here to prepare us for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So here you have two books, both appearing in 1975, that take the opposite uh, perspectives on this whole uh, idea of whether or not uh, extraterrestrials can be viewed through a religious lens. Uh, if we look at other religions, Buddhism, for instance, uh, the idea of a multiplicity of worlds has been common in uh, Buddhist thought for uh, several thousand years. Uh, the same with uh, the Hindus. Hindus have never really had a problem with the idea of, of life elsewhere. In fact, uh, the Hindus, in terms of reincarnation, uh, have even proposed uh, that maybe we are reincarnated alien beings and vice versa, that some alien beings are reincarnated uh, from humans. Uh, so there are a lot of different perspectives uh, of religion on this particular subject. This universe, Randall, is just so vast, we really don't understand how this all started. It, anything could happen. Oh, indeed, uh, and I think we should keep that old adage in mind, uh, expect the unexpected. Uh, I, I think 
you know, this idea of disclosure, whether or not there's going to be um, an ultimate disclosure on the part of the U.S. government or uh, other governments acting in concert with the U.S. government. They know something. I can feel it. Yes, whatever it is, uh, we should expect uh, the unexpected about it, uh, and uh, it may well occur in our lifetimes. Uh, certainly, we all have a sense that something is coming. Well, you know, I've just been watching the uh, space telescope, the James Webb telescope, and when they're talking about finding light sources from the beginning of the universe 13 and a half billion years ago, it's absolutely staggering. How many stars are up there? Yes, yes. <laughs> it is mind-boggling, indeed. In fact, there have been scientists, uh, has been documented, who have um, dwelt on this particular topic uh, at great length and uh, have become unhinged as a result. It's hard to really grasp to get our minds around uh, the idea of infinity. But that certainly seems to be what we're facing, uh, especially now with the Webb telescopes res results coming back to us day by day. That's amazing. I mean, they'll show us pictures of what look like little stars out there that are little galaxies with millions of stars within them. Uh, George, a question I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, can you remember the first UFO-related book that you read that really had an impact on you? They were, there was a the Look Magazine, not a book, but Look Magazine when they wrote the Barney and Betty Hill abduction story. Ah, uh, yes. And then there was a book called uh, Flying Saucers Are Real, either by Edward Ruppelt or Frank Edwards. I can't remember which one. Mm -hmm. But it was yeah. one, of the, one of those two were the first books. I, like you when you were a kid, joined NICAP as well. Mm -hmm. That's how I knew about the little card that he sent us. I, I got my little ID card, and I thought, uh, well, this is a great club I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I was obsessed. My first radio interview back in 1971 was with the late Stanton Friedman, the great ufologist. And yes. He was yes. just one of a kind. Of, and I, just, I was just hooked at a young age. Yes. But that Look Magazine article about Barney and Betty Hill, I ended up interviewing their psychologist and psychiatrist, Dr. Benjamin Simon, out of New, out of Boston. And I asked him, I'm 21 years old, I'm a reporter in Detroit, and I said to him specifically, Dr. Simon, were they telling you the truth? What was your professional opinion? And he said, yes, they were telling me the truth. I don't know what they what happened to them. I don't know what they went through, but whatever they believe, they believe it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't get much better than that. Yeah, the book that came out uh, by John Fuller, The Interrupted Journey, based on, you know, the Betty and Barney yep. story, uh, was uh, one of the classics. And you mentioned another classic. You talked about Edward Ruppelt. Uh, his book came out in 1956, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. And he was the first uh, Project Blue Book, the Air Force uh, project of uh, director uh, of that. And, and Heineck uh, replaced him, I guess. Yes, and, and Heineck uh, came along uh, as an advisor to Project Blue Book, but Ruppelt was an interesting guy because he uh, seemed honest uh, and straightforward, unlike uh, a lot of the other Project Blue Book um, uh, people that got involved and were sort of uh, towing the Air Force line that the entire phenomenon had to be debunked, 
Um, but I'm looking over the summary that I did of Rupelt's book and, uh, from 56, and uh, he, he was a straight shooter uh, for the most part. Uh, his, his book uh, talked about uh, the unexplained uh, cases that Project Blue Book um, uh, dealt with and the classic UFO sightings such as the Lubbock Lights, you know, back uh, when that happened in the 50s. And the cynics, the debunkers, uh, said that that was a result of, of streetlight reflections off swarms of moths and birds. No, something really actually ridiculous. Uh, and then there was the famous case of that pilot, Captain Thomas Mantell, oh, yeah. uh, who died uh, while he was chasing a UFO. And the this debunker said it was a skyhook balloon that he was chasing. Sure. Um, but Rupelt was mystified by these cases, and he was unwilling to dismiss them. And been sort of overlooked in the, the history of the UFO phenomenon. Let's take some calls for you. Let's go east of the Rockies. Carlos in Miami, welcome to the show. Hi, Carlos. Hey, George, how are you? Uh, good morning, uh, Mr. Figueroa as well. Uh, yes. Thanks for taking my call. I have a couple of comments, and then I have a question. Sure. Uh, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, I think you remember me. I'm the one that came up with the, uh, the theory about the uh, Big Bang, that that was a result of a, basically a black hole. Yep, I remember that. We were regurgitated out of there, and I think that that's, uh, uh, you that, know, that's I'd as like good to, a theory as anything we've heard so far, Carlos. Great. Uh, well, the other uh, comments I wanted to make was uh, there's uh, AI being developed to communicate uh, with the elephants and giraffes, which they communicate with, with each other. They will sound out that they can communicate with each other in a high-pitched sound that we cannot hear. Uh, for miles, they can talk to each other. Uh, and so they're developing a way to communicate with them through those same pitch sounds, just like the uh, whales and orcas and dolphins communicate with the high pitch sound mm -hmm. under the water where we can hear it because the water travels, the sound travels in the water. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, basically I, I brought that up because Mr. Figueroa was talking about the, the octopus and the other animals that they're trying to figure out how to communicate. Um, in regards to uh, the, the uh, let's see, I, I wanted to mention, uh, oh, the, uh, the Black Knight. Uh, there is, a, a, you know, aliens already. They've been tracking us for the last 13,000 years, and a university professor uh, disciples their code of communication where it said, do not touch the Black Knight. Uh, do not get close to it, and we've been here for the last 13,000 years communicate, uh, monitoring you. Now, uh, that's the question I have with Mr. Fitzgerald. Uh, what does he know about that? Because everybody seems to uh, sweep the Black Knight under the rug, and nobody wants to bring it to, to the surface. Uh, NASA goes into space. They photograph it. It's all secret. Uh, they don't get close to it. Uh, no astronaut did a spacewalk and got close to it. I don't know if they think they're going to get electrified or something. Nobody talks about the Black Knight. Have you heard about this, Randall? It's supposed to be a tracking satellite sent by an extraterrestrial race that is circling our globe. It's been doing it for thousands of years. And it may have come from the Epsilon Butes star system. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not actually familiar with the term um, Black Knight. Uh, I am familiar with uh, a number of the ideas historically uh, from uh, astronomers that I chronicle in Alien in the Mirror about uh, particular uh, satellites uh, circling the planet and, and the prospect that, that they were uh, sent here as surveillance uh, devices. But but I'm uh, curious uh, that the Black Knight is something that has actually been uh, photographed and monitored. Apparently. Apparently. Mm -hmm. So they haven't really released it to us. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, yes. it's been a story that's been out there for a long time. Uh, check into it. I think you'll find it fascinating. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Of all the UFO stories you've heard, which is the one that you think is one of the best? Well, it's actually one that came to my attention just in the last couple of years. I've got my top, top five. I'm sure we all have our top five most intriguing cases and our top ten and so forth. But the one that's sort of jumped to the top of my list uh, based on some of the documentaries uh, that I've seen over the last uh, two years is that 1994 aerial school Zimbabwe. Oh, that's a great case, is that? Involving more than 60 school children, you know, between the ages of like 8 and 12. Didn't the, didn't the aliens wave back at the kids? Well, I don't recall the waving part, but I, I, I recall that, you know, the kids afterwards had stories that were very much in sync with each other about most of the details of what they had seen and experienced. And uh, certainly many of them were talking in terms of getting close, uh, I mean, within um, just 10 to 15 feet of this landed craft that had uh, a being that apparently uh, emerged from the top of the craft and and stood in front of them and communicated with them telepathically, you know, giving them information very similar to what uh, the contactees in the 1950s uh, got. You know, the contactees all received information from Georgia, Adamski, and so forth uh, along the lines of, you know, you're going to ruin the planet with uh, atomic energy and nuclear weapons, and you must beware because planet is being imperiled. Yeah, there's always a great message there. Randall, we're going to come back and take final calls in a moment on Coast to Coast AM. Coast Insiders, the new version of the Coast to Coast AM.